This is the Musical Mental Health Podcast. I am really excited about this episode today because it's a panel episode and we've got some people back from previous episodes to talk about a whole host of things that have come up across the series so far. So I'm joined today by Ronan McMarris, who featured in episode one. Ronan is the frontman for the Brand New Zeros and a band called The Bible Code Sundays as well. And we talked a lot in the episode about coming from a musical family as one of Elvis Costello's four younger brothers. I'm also joined by Greg Lawson, who is the former BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra principal second violin. Um, he's also part of a band called Moshi's Bagel and formed and arranged all of the music for the Grit Orchestra, uh, which was music all based around Martin Bennett's um, incredible albums. And then I'm also joined by Dave Mastricola, who is the head of visual and performing arts at the Bourne Academy in Bournemouth. And he is also a session bass player. So welcome, guys. How are we doing? All good. Yeah. Splendid mm -hmm. to be here. Dave's sitting there like, I don't know when to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd take the lead I'm there. I'm very aware yeah. that I'm going to end up talking over people. So I'm just, oh. I will bide my time before I become aggressively annoying. I used to have a system on big Zoom meetings where we'd have to, in, uh, for the RCS uh, during COVID, where we would um, have to present ridiculous looking objects if they wanted to talk right okay i'm well up for that okay let's you, do you that. weren't allowed to just like put your hand up or it had to be something ludicrous um i haven't got anything ludicrous to hand but okay so the whole point of this episode came up after chatting to ronan who featured in the first episode about how the music industry could be shaped at a much younger age to prevent an awful lot of this culture becoming the norm so, Ronan, I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit about your overall impressions listening through the episodes so far. Yeah, well, basically, I um, I managed to get two weeks holiday, uh, which gave me gave me time to think and listen to podcasts and catch up on all the episodes that I hadn't listened to, and then they kind of hit me like a train, um, and realised how important the podcast was and how important the conversations you were ha having, and although. I'm not from the classical background and most of your guests in the early uh, part of it, apart from myself, had been from that world. Um, I felt there was so much crossover, so much stuff that was relevant to um, the problems that are facing the contemporary music business, which one of the big things is record labels aren't developing artists anymore. So people have to develop themselves, which basically leads to um, often self-releasing too early, um, not having good advice to sort of say, you know, um, about any of that release strategy or any of the, or how the music's developing. They don't have access to any, any guidance at all. So this idea that maybe podcasts like the Muse of Mental Health podcast could be pres prescribed um, to people learning music or people develop, artists developing to say, there's some really important points being made here. And, um, Part of, mainly it was it was the, this idea of ridiculous barriers being put up between genres of music, between this high, this ridiculous hierarchy that exists, and how you're you're not meant to mix with other other or some forms of music are, are better than others, and how you're not meant to do this, not meant to do that, you're not meant to do that. You know all these little barriers you put in the way of yourself, and the self-releasing music through the digital uh, platforms. Also, you have to pigeonhole yourself in order to work the algorithms so you have to say i am a alternative artist but then i am um new wave punk or i'm surf thing or i'm i'm whatever it is these different things you have to sort of say your folk or your alt pop or your you have to really narrow yourself down in order to work the algorithms which in itself is cutting off from audience that could like it sort of means you have to narrow down what you do and be one thing and no no musician is ever one thing there's yeah. always so many different different influences influences that that come in and this is so unhelpful the, basically the modern music business in terms of um the streaming services and all that kind of thing the contemporary the, the, the modern mainstream music business is not serving artists or audience because yeah. the algorithm algorithms as an audience member that you're meant to be feeding you the music that you like based on things you've already listened to is being corrupted because people with money can put their put their artist ahead of other artists. So it's the whole algorithm idea is corrupted for starters. So the whole thing is not fit for purpose. It's not helping the development of, of musicians. So there's a 
crisis of discovery in the business. Artists can't find audience, audience can't find artists, mainly because this old, old, old style music business kind of collapsed and everyone's just trying to find their way in this complete sea of, of there's no guidance, there's, no, there's nothing to help people along. So I felt like there, there should be or could be a kind of a network of podcasters, musicians, um, people from, from music management, people from used to work in record labels, journalists, you know, trusted sources that would help, that would have their own podcasts where we could prescribe these podcasts to help musicians to develop in the right way and not find themselves in the situation where they need help with their mental health. They could actually develop in a way that that's not damaging, <laughs> which, which, as I see, all of you guys are smiling, which you won't be able to hear on the on the on the audio version of this. But this this is this all this stuff resonated with me, and I'm not a classical musician, but the the, the experience of the classical world is actually replicated through so many different genres of music, and I found it was so helpful. And so I thought this it's so obvious, like this, but it's not being said, yeah. And this is and it really kind of struck me, and I had to ring Laura and go this what you're doing is really important really really important and it needs to be heard by more people there needs to be more versions of this that, that all kind of complement each other um so that was kind of that was kind of where i got to i just had this massive like rush of enthusiasm to say <laughs> you've got to keep doing this thing because not only you're really good at it and you know laurie you're, you're even your your speaking voice you sound like you should be on radio as one of the, as one of the, um, I think it was Sam said to you, you know, the start of the thing you said, it's, yeah. the, the, the questions are good. The conversation flows naturally. And she's, she's, look, she's absolutely curling up into a ball. Yeah. <laughs> but just say to yourself, I am Laura and I'm a good podcaster. This is well, a so reference yeah, Now I know you've Greg's. been listening to Greg's <laughs> podcast. Greg, do you want to, do you want to jump in here with, with any of your thoughts on this? Cause we had quite a long conversation throughout your podcast about, the kind of snobbery that goes on across mm. the different genres and the unnecessary musical hierarchy because you experienced a lot of it even between classical and scottish trad in scotland yeah i mean I, well just to come back to what ronan said there i think it was interesting listening to everyone's experiences and discovering in that that each one of us has kind of felt this really kind of bleak at some point, uh, isolation, um, sense of loneliness in some kind of uh, artistic struggle, or which is on the one hand acceptable because you know it's 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 part of the subject matter, isn't it? But the loneliness that we've also felt because of um, a complete lack of help or a complete lack of openness and inclusiveness, or the segregation. Look, I met a guy. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had to go to one of these dreadful events for the band that I was in, Moishe's Bagel, um, which is a band that plays so many different kinds of styles. We couldn't find, is what you're talking about, the algorithms running. We couldn't find anyone to represent us because we weren't one thing. We, we weren't definably one thing. We were many things. And the point of ourselves was that we were many things. But that didn't seem to resonate with people who were selling things because people are selling things singularly. Anyway, I went... <clears throat> To this meeting where bands have to go to a room full of agents and kind of sell you have to sell yourself to the agents they're horrible events and it should be the other way around you know and so i was chosen by the band as being at the time because it was just after grit so i had a certain amount of credibility and also i'd learned to hold my tongue a bit and be a bit more political which doesn't sit well with me and I went along to this thing and I just, I couldn't stand it. I realized I was going to be, I was going to start saying insulting things to like, you know, 20 somethings who were going to represent me. And part of me is thinking, how can you, how can you, you're 22. I mean, what do you know about the world of music? How are you going to, anyway, I left the room, went outside the street, had a cigarette and this enormous person came to stand next to me. And I was aware that they were huge. And I turned around and, and my eyes were the height of the lapel on their chest, right? So they had at least another two feet to go. 
from <laughs> my eyes. And I saw the name on their lapel and it said Justin Many Fingers. And because I was in a cynical point mind set and I was feeling just angry and pissed off with the, the nature of music, I kind of looked at that and thought, God, what a stupid bloody name, honestly. God, it's probably some contemporary balloon dance troupe or something. <laughs> and I followed my eyes, then followed up to him, his eyes. And he was a North American Indian guy. And immediately the name went from being something stupid to being something utterly gorgeous. Of course, what a gorgeous name, actually, when you consider the cultural context of something suddenly, right? Anyway, we had this most amazing chat because I said, wow, what a name. That's amazing. And we were talking and he was being used as a kind of a cultural ambassador for his country, for Canada. And, and I said, how do you find it going around the world? And he said this thing. He said, I cannot understand why everywhere I go, uh, you segregate your arts in, a, in all the cultures I visit. He said, in my culture, all of the arts are inclusive, theater, dance, poetry, design, music, everything, everything feeds off everything else. Everything is part of everything else. We have, it's like one huge giant subject that we all come to with our own, with what we have to offer. And, and, it, and that was the first time actually having, that I'd ever considered the use of the word segregation as identifying the problem that we have in our education and especially in our education we separate people straight away into a hierarchy of art where classical music is at the top and everyone else is further down right and and that persists it persists at all levels still and it's all bullshit of course i think all of us know that that's not just an untruth it's a really dangerous and damaging untruth because it's so untrue. It undermines the very nature of the subject of art and music itself. And, and no wonder we all come out feeling isolated and, and so many musicians have mental health problems that they can't handle or can't talk about or can't deal with. No wonder there's so much dysfunctionalism because it's like poisoning the water, you know? It's, you're not supposed to do that. And yet it's happening at an accepted level and is being promoted by in uh, educational institutions so yeah. what i was listening to to dave's one and actually what dave does brilliantly what i was listening to was um empowering the musicians on his in his in his uh, the students that he has and giving them not only professional stage to perform on to give them the the arena to, to perform, but you you give them you give them the 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 sort of freedom to to do their own performances and to kind of make those decisions themselves which i think is that's exactly the counter to what you know we, what we're saying is is, mm. is, is this this very enclosed parameters and a, a you know i think, think what dave's doing there is actually there is somebody out there doing that ex the exact opposite of 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 yeah. that kind of thing you know that yeah, I mean, absolutely. One of the things that we talk about in Dave's episode is the fact that he actually started at the school and went for contemporary music rather than classical music. Classical music is something that will start in the school in about a week's time through the Music and Secondary Schools Trust. Every child in year seven, correct me if I'm wrong, will learn either the violin or the flute for free, which is incredible. But I would be really interested to know a bit more of Dave's thoughts on all of that, really. Well, I think... Ronan was saying, you know, we give the students the freedom to do this. I've done some music education podcasts in the past and the other teachers on there have really been very dismissive of the vocational music courses um, and say, no, it's GCSE and it's A-level um, and that is the gold standard, which I think is utterly ridiculous because, um, you know, students will study Bach chorales all through A-level music and then they will go to university and they might study music but they have no real life experience of what it's like to be a working musician. So if we take Laura obviously as an example, you, you went to conservatoire, you finished your degree and then was uh, in classical music and was just thrown out into the world to be a musician and had precious little knowledge of 
how the music industry works and how not to be screwed over by the music industry. Musicians, and certainly down here in Dorset and along the South Coast, it is really difficult for young bands to get gigs. That is one thing that I've been working on and trying to build up a network of so they can play in proper music venues. So it's not just in school. And, and so we've done gigs in Bournemouth at the Anvil. Um, I'm trying to organise uh, another one at a place called the Four Horsemen. What I find is, though, it's really difficult to get students a lot of gigs in places because not because of the age thing, an awful lot of venues are like, yeah, that's fine, they're under 18, but we can work with that. And But it's the tribute acts. So there's so many tribute acts down south, sort of an Adele tribute act or a Kiss tribute act, and they actually monopolise a lot of the festivals um, across the south coast. So it's, it's physically impossible for anyone doing their own material who, are having, who hasn't got a decent agent to actually get a, a decent slot or any slot at a festival. Um, there are so many around the Dorset area where it's just full of tribute acts and nothing new is being tried out and they're all, with all due respect, like musicians in their 40s, 50s just singing Adele or but literally like just to the note, exactly the same as like, and it is, it is soul destroying to watch that when I know that uh, just at my school alone there are students who are unbelievably talented, you can easily pull together a 50 minute set uh, of their own material and some covers that maybe they've that they will put their own style to but it is it is something that is really difficult to try and infiltrate is that tribute area as well in this area and I'm not sure where, what it's like around the country absolutely um what the theme I've kind of picked up from an awful lot of this is that there's a real issue with musical hierarchy a real issue with original music actually being identifiable as, as a certain genre or as a certain um, niche marker or whatever you've got to define all of this kind of thing. And my question to all of you would be having listened to the podcasts and having lifted the lid on a lot of these conversations, what would you say the solutions are? So let's take, for example, making sure that people's individuality is actually recognised and we're not all conforming to one stereotype. Ronan. Well, the, um, I think it's actually in, it's actually part of what I was saying, I think, before, in terms of... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, we have to hold something up that is quite amusing if you want to chip something in. And Ronan, Rather than just your hand. Can only be a Christmas wreath, I think it was. Christmas wreath in yeah. August, just about <laughs> in August. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so, but it, I think part of it is part of this idea. The problem with the um, hang on, Laura's just turning to Rory all of a sudden. But the uh, part of this issue is um, uh, it's sort of linked in with this with this idea of of, of um, original artists not really being able to get a hold on mainstream music. Everyone's listening to Spotify and that kind of thing, but the Spotify will look after the bigger artists because that's where, that's where their bigger revenue is coming in. So you're going to get more of the bigger artists. And so the, so people's originality um, is actually being squashed because you're not actually, if you've actually got a cover, then you're more likely to be added to playlists. There's loads of, I mean, you might even get the, the next Mark Spencer's Christmas ad if you're doing a, a, a a slow version of an old 80s rock song, you know, or something. And it's sort of, <clears throat> I actually did, I did a, a, a Mickey Tate one on, on YouTube of one of the, then I just did a ridiculous version of something stupid and and I got done by the um, algorithms, <laughs> I got kicked out. But, um, the, but the thing is that the, the thing is you, you can have more, if you do a version of it, it must be love by madness, but you've, you've Done it on the piano with a with a um, <laughs> what the hell is that? Tape set, <laughs> a bow tie on a hockey stick. It looks like I don't know what it is, but um, but yeah. So this, so I think it's it's actually that actually feeds feeding into the live scene. So the um, the, the fact is that there's that people aren't going to gigs of bands they don't know. So mm. the, so the, the so there's a there's a great venue near me in Watford and. Their, one of their, their biggest night is their tribute act night because that's when they get most people in because they'd rather go and see someone impersonating Roger Stewart than go on a different night and watch a band they've never heard of, and they they just they just not they're not 
they're not taking gambles anymore because record labels aren't taking gambles anymore and that's just the that's just it's all it all feeds in that is horrific that people i'd rather go and see a rod stewart tribute act than go and see something new and exciting i find that really strange i think one thing that that could change education is a whole revamping of GCSE and A-level music. It is uh, the example that I've currently been using, which is run by RSL, is actually hasn't been okayed for the qualifications table. So I'm not actually able to teach that to students as of this year. Um, I, I've got my year 11s who will be uh, having it, but any other students have to do something else. And we were, uh, myself and my colleague, were looking through all the different different music qualifications that we could do for GCSE and vocational and the GCSE courses were unbelievably dull 60% of them was a written paper um, just going through into minute detail of analyzing you know I can't remember the pieces but like Mozart's 40th symphony in G minor just going into it motif after motif in in, in, in huge detail and it is what is the point? Music is supposed to be there to, to inspire people. I, I'm a classically trained musician. I don't give a shit about, sorry for swearing, I don't care about um, how Mozart created these motifs. Like, I don't care about the structure of it. If I write something, it's because I like the sound of it. Like, the best musicians in the world, or the best, the most popular and the musicians and songwriters in the world don't look and analyze music to the nth degree and think oh, i'm going to use that they will do it naturally i, I don't see the point of this analysis of, of all this music in such minute detail they need to appreciate music and appreciate different styles which is what the course i was teaching was brilliant at looking at lots of different styles and then finding out about the history the cultural impact and everything like that but analyzing it bar by bar and I've taught that in a school about 10, 12 years ago, uh, and it made me want to hurt myself. <laughs> it was that dull. Um, Do you know, interestingly, that sounds so similar in some ways to the lectures I would have had at music college, Greg. Mm -hmm. you know, Sorry, Greg. <laughs> but not, for, not from Greg. Uh, okay. you know, we're talking, I, I left, you know, I started university 17 years ago. Uh, so, you know, I think things have moved on and actually, like you say, the, the lectures that were the most engaging were actually by uh, teacher Myra Suter and she just, she made music come alive, you know, and there are still things like Don Juan that I listen to now, which for violinists out there will know is a very standard orchestral, symphonic orchestral rep, uh, repertoire excerpt if you're going to do an audition, but that actually made it interesting for me. So. I'd be interested, Greg, to know your thoughts there. Well, see, I think, I mean, I've always been slightly allergic to this um, analyzing of music. I, I've never quite understood why there's this incredible need to use education, which is a really complicated word. I, I, we shouldn't be ashamed of the word education, but I often find when the classical world gets a hold of, it, of the word education, it's almost like a, they're like sort of, um, missionaries you know as if as if they have to go around the world and 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 educate people how to understand a mozart symphony which of course is complete mm -hmm. nonsense no one needs to understand a mozart symphony they just need to be given the permission to like it or to not like it it's mm -hmm. as simple as that and because the beautiful thing about music is that you come to it at different points in your life. You come to it. You, you don't need it so much to come to you, especially if it's holding a large placard that tells you you're thick until you know how this works. No one ever decides to analyse Bob Marley and give you a lecture on reggae, you know. They could give you a really cool a class on rhythm, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing. For me, it, this, the, the whole subject matter of the way we educate music is flawed at its concept because it's separated from everything else. It suffers from hierarchy and it doesn't, it doesn't pick up on the fact that music is a subject. It's not just a singular thing. It's not an instrument. It's not a style. It's not a composer. It's a beautiful, massive subject about the way you think about creative minds. And if we, if we went back, yes, if we went back, to early education and I think I don't know if you want to change the world it has to be how you talk to children from the moment they're born doesn't it really it, early education is where I think 
our whole concept of how we teach art as a subject uh, allows freedom of thought, freedom of movement, freedom of people to know that they are allowed to say, I don't like this and I do like that. That's a value judgment that we can't, we can't then decide that there's something right or wrong about that, you know? Dave, so you that's where the change. In. Yeah, I think just talking about how our education can, can change, there are people out there who are designing courses that students can access that is vocationally. And RSL, again, I'll, I'll mention them again, have got a brilliant level three, so which, uh, an A-level course. Um, which is absolutely brilliant and is still running. And some of the units, I've just got them up here and I'm just gonna rattle off maybe four or five of them. Um, uh, composing for interactive media, composing for film and, um, and uh, TV, film and TV, live sound design, music stage management, copyright and music, publishing and music, auditioning, like live music performance rehearsal skills, musical directing, um, live sound recording, studio sound recording, all these things give students the opportunities to get the experience and now i've had students who have then wanted to go to university maybe to study another subject um and there are certain universities in the country that do not allow this particular subject because it's a vocational course they say well it's not a real course we can't accept it as so we've had students who want to go and i will not i won't name the institutions but there are several at least three or four red brick universities and the two that you can imagine who essentially say no this isn't a course that we can accept and the students are more than capable of accessing those courses and i think there needs to be a fundamental change across education that just because something isn't at an a level just because they're not looking at and analyzing bark corrals or whatever that scheme is because i haven't looked at it for years because i refuse to what in, there are other ways to learn music and mm -hmm. there are better ways to learn music and yeah more rounded musicians will, uh, will, um, will be brought out from their shell because of it. This actually feeds into something that I think Greg was saying during his podcast, which was this, the thing you used to say when you went on your course, you sort of got told off for saying it, mm. which was that, that, you know, the, the percentage of, I'm going to, we're going to quote you wrong now here. This is what I'm going to do now. <laughs> but, uh, but the idea, sort of the idea that, that if you don't go into an orchestra, from this classical course and you're a failure when actually there's so many other ways for a musician something laura said actually in response to you was so many other ways for a musician to 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 make a living or find their where they fit best and so that's of course you're talking about there dave it's great because it gives people so many different outlets for their for their you know it sort of says look you've got this side of music Sort of is it, and one of these mm -hmm. things, or maybe a few of these things, or maybe none of these things, mm -hmm. will be right for you. But to narrow people's people's thing down to sort of saying, well, for instance, if you haven't got to bring it back to contemporary music and mainstream music, if you haven't got one billion streams, yeah. you're not getting the record deal. And if the the record label is not going to sign you unless you can guarantee them one billion streams, therefore you've failed. And it's like, well, to have, actually... have, a, to have a career in music anyway, you can't. Conservatoires <clears throat> and, and music degrees seem to just pump out just performers. You can't just be a performer now and, and yeah. make a career out of it. Those days are long gone. That died with Britpop probably in the late 90s. You now have to be able to record your own music. You have to market it. You need to understand copyright and publishing because, as you said, the record companies aren't helping musicians anymore. They want the finished product. So if yeah. anyone wants to have a serious well-paying extremely well-paying career in music just from performing they will have need to have had knowledge, knowledge of all of that beforehand so that they they are the finished product for the record company because you just won't get signed now hmm. so i don't know where i was going with that sorry to interrupt but navigating you. the digital world is something that sort of that i think that um that greg was talking about before digital burnout trying to because that's sort of that's the next step on so you've got even if you can actually develop to the point where you um where you are saying exactly what you want to say you're producing the music that you want to produce you've somehow managed to to get some sort of traction in, in the way that you've got some sort of a voice on digital music streaming platforms like then you've got to got to manage all of those different social media platforms you then gotta you gotta engage it's, it's a full-time job that you're not getting paid for because you have to be on TikTok and you have to be on instagram and you have to be 
you have to present yourself in the right way. You've got to be a release strategy. You've got a marketing strategy of all those things. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up with a music business that's full of people who are, can play a bit, but are great at marketing. And do you and know that's, what? That's, that's interesting, Ronan, because that's something that Lee McKenzie from episode four brings up, which is why he's actually got funding to do a, a digital um, burnout podcast that he's going to be releasing right. at the end of this month. Um, to actually talk about how that was where I was going with it, yeah. To say yeah. this, but that's another podcast I will I would prescribe as a self-proclaimed musical doctor, um, healing the healing the music business. You know, it's like there's this this these sorts of podcasts that you've got here and that that Lee's got there, and uh, is these are going to become integral parts of, or it could become cogs of a bigger machine which helps to actually do the job that record labels aren't doing anymore for contemporary artists and for and any artist it's, it's needed for any artist as well because i yeah. mean you know the the lifting the lid on this kind of conversation certainly in the classical music world you don't talk about how you're feeling you don't talk yeah. about how you're feeling you plaster a smile on you sit down you talk but not too much you have to dress a certain way but not not too much the other way otherwise you will be criticized there's just so many different people out there mm. that won't fit into the the small margins that we're trying to be squashed into greg well this is one thing that it's like you know each one of us ends up describing the aperture <clears throat> that we of our experience you know and then we discover when we compare those apertures that we all have remarkably similar frustrations and but it's like there has to be a point at which we can uh kind of bring all of this knowledge together to to look backwards and it's like as Ronan said at the beginning before we even started as an idea to solve these problems for people before they become problems for people and all of that has to be yeah. about the way that we look at the education how we how the subject is educated we're all part of the subject you know we're part of it in different dialects and different accents but we all we're all speaking the same language in music all of us you know and until we can go backwards in this and kind of start to liberate people's minds and give them things to think of and things to compare to, then you're not going to get people growing up wanting to explore a, a wide listening palette. They are going to go for the most simple, the simple, most immediate food stuff that they're presented to, because that's what they've been told to accept in the first place. So the job's actually quite hard because somehow in these discussions, we've got to find a route to make change, like collectively. But surely it's gonna be much easier for our, if we're working together from many, many different forms, all coming at the same argument and actually building up a series of podcasts like this, a series of discussions, talking to students at the beginning of their time, like I was saying to Laura, if we could get in and and, to the first years when they're coming through the door that we're most our door kind of thing and talk about this series just so far and show them listen to little bits to give them this this freedom immediately that yes it's a discipline subject yes learn your instrument spend your time practicing because there's no shortcut to that but what you do with your mind that's that's there's a huge amount of uh, freedom in that actually and the sooner we actually start exploring that the better but if we can do it collectively then we that's what we have to do isn't it we have to somehow make that change like 100%. all working together you 100%. know 100 yeah absolutely because it's the this is one of that's what that's why it hit me like a train so much because i was thinking about the contemporary music business the mainstream music business people trying to get records trying to people trying to hit the charts all that kind of stuff and they realize all the things that i come up, i've come up against in my time of of being in that world mm -hmm. are the same there's a, the same problems you're coming up against in the classical world just just in a slightly different form but it's the same yeah. core problems and as you say it's i think to come together and to really help them for people to realize that that these aren't separate worlds they're all they mm -hmm. are all the same world and all the and and it's just a matter of opening your mind and being able to kind of express yourself is really what, it, what it's all about. That's what it comes down to. It comes down yeah. to, and I think you talk about it before in your um, episode, Greg, I think you were talking about this idea of 
I think we've actually come come up through all of them. I think this idea of of having the freedom to express yourself, finding it what it is you do, mm-hmm. and what it is you do well, what suits you, what you know, and like Dave finding himself, you know, the, being a bass player is great because he's not never been wants to be the centre of attention. So he's found his niche mm-hmm. there, <clears throat> but actually, what you didn't realise when you were doing all that and doing all your bands and everything that. And you you were learning your bass and you were finding your your part within a band. Actually, what you were teaching the kids now is hugely important. Giving them the proper platform that they need, giving them the tools they need. It's like if you give a, if I always say this to people when they say, "Oh, people always ask me, my child wants to play, wants to learn guitar. What guitar will I get?" And I always say, "Make sure you get them a good one that's not hard to play because they're never going to pick it up if it's hard to play." actions like this and the yeah and you know you sort of get them a better quality instrument they will be more inspired to play to give them the tools mm-hmm. they need to do the job and that's what it's all about giving the people the tools you setting up a proper gigs and proper venues to give them the feel of what it's actually like to be at a decent level mm-hmm. not a, through a crappy pa like no. all of us did at school you know um you know cr- and you know this this is it's so important that people have the inspiration and have voices that are inspiring them and having not just voices that inspiring, but actions that are inspiring them and experiences that are inspiring them and it's and and giving them say to saying to them you can do this stuff i'd love to come down to your place dave i'd love to see see it in action just kind of you know and actually feel it because it's change is really hard and it often happens i think it's like you know for example at some building like the rcs you try to make a change and you've got walls to oppose against. You've got people who are really desperately open to the fact that change needs to happen, but they don't understand enough about what change is to let you do it or to let it happen because they're vested in familiarity. And, and it's then, the fear as well, the fear God, of change. And everyone's being everyone's the odd scared. one out. And I think one the reasons that people are scared, especially, and I, get this to an extent in the classical world there's a there's a fear that if you let go of the if you change that you somehow going to let go of the discipline teaching that you're going to have somehow you know dilute the subject and all this kind of stuff and it's the same kind of fear that goes with all prejudice it's the same kind of fear that goes against immigration you know that if somehow if you let someone in that they that you're going to be your, your identity is going to be weakened by that. But in actual fact, we all know the truth is everything is enriched by that. And that's how humanity's got this far. It's the same subject fear to deal with. Therefore, when something happens that's that's actually happening almost outside that, I don't, I've never heard of these boards that the RSL, and there's obviously so much stuff going on hmm. that I know nothing about, that it would, it, it would give me huge courage to know that these things are happening the more i can know about it the more i can in my place say but look this is happening down here do you know what i mean to yeah, lessen I mean, in their scotland, fear exactly, in yeah, scotland so. we've got um we've only got the one exam board as far as i'm aware people can correct me if i've got that wrong but we've only got the sqa so it doesn't matter whether you live in orkney or dumfries you will study the same music paper and you know it's gone from being standard grade and higher to nat five and nat four up to higher advanced higher but i don't think the papers have changed since i don't think they've changed much since i was at school and i know that because my music teachers from high school are still the music teachers at my high school so <laughs> they feed back yeah I, I failed my um uh music i failed i've got you know the qualifications i've got actually oh uh, i've got an art o level a pottery o level and environmental studies o level um, which just required me to take some samples from the River Tyne and send it off to a laboratory, you know. Um, and write what can they find in there? Oh, man. Well, they gave me a really high mark, even though my, I think they were trying to hide something. But, <laughs> but I was not engaged. I've been a musician or a creatively minded person from the moment that I was born, and all of my early childhood stimulated all of that stuff. And I went into exams of these subjects and found the exams so mind-numbingly boring yeah. so completely completely nothing to do with what i imagined that i i just failed them it was i just thought well i just won't bother i failed my degree at college i got into the royal Northern college of music went through the same thing found the hoops that I, they wanted me to jump through 
I just decided not to jump through them. I learned the stuff that I needed to learn to be the musician I needed to be. You know, I made those decisions, and as a as a result, it it cost it cost money to. I mean, I failed everything, <laughs> and now my dad, luckily, is very proud of me for failing everything. But not everyone has the freedom to fail. Students now have massive loans, you know. So it's like the the system is so incredibly broken and so boring. The subject. It's no wonder that people don't come and study it, and it's no wonder that when people do study it. They turn their brains off, you know. I was very lucky, actually. GCC, just sorry, Dave, just to cut across. I know you had your you had your hand up. It wasn't a ridiculous object, but it was it was a, just a normal hand. <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> uh, but I, I was very lucky to quickly say that uh, um, when I, my secondary school music teacher was, she actually chose for us four Beatles songs as opposed to classical music to, oh. to study. So we had like um, Penny Lane. Um, Hello, goodbye. Uh, well, Strawberry Fields. So we had, that's what we picked apart for our GCC, which is amazing. So yeah, so and then she basically gave me a four-track recorder because I was the only one using it. It was a part of the music department. She said, "Why don't you, why don't you take this home for the summer and work with it?" You know, and I was just recording all the stuff. And then she left it that summer. So she basically gave me this four-track thing that no one ever knew it was there. She was the only knew it was there, so she really? gifted me this thing. And um, without her influence on me and i actually wrote to her recently i heard a radio show about about you know thank your teacher sort of thing or something to do with that so i actually found her wrote to her and said thank you so much for everything you did for me because that put me on the road and it's that in that early influence of people that you were talking about before she was such, such a huge influence but she had a um insane obsession with the, a good tradition by tinny to tickerum which she played every single day on the on on vinyl record but um she was such a great thing to sort of sort of give it the freedom and, and and give us the fact that we were going to study Beatles rather than Mozart whatever you know which, mm. which was just for a 15 16 year old was just magic you know Perfect. sorry Dave I think just with what Greg was saying about the written exams and how how dull it is with with again with this with this level three vocational course the external exam is a performance exam and it changes every year and they basically said it's a vocation thing so we say you're going to be putting on a music festival and the theme of this festival is going to be emotion and music or peace and conflict or something and so the students have to come up with i think it's between 12 and 15 minutes worth of music in band solo duet however they want to do it loosely fitting that theme whether it's to do with the song itself or or emotions that the song give them or anything like that and they have to piece together that and they have to justify that they have to work out to practice it but that's the exam and then they put on a we put on a concert which i then multi-track record so that it can be mixed properly so that the examiner can hear it otherwise they're being marked on the my ability to mix live which is <laughs> there are different levels of how good that will go yeah. but <laughs> but that is that's the external exam it's an engaging exam it's actually a real life exam and they also have to do another unit called planning for a career in music. So they actually have to plan what career they would want to do in music and work out how they're going to get there, what skills they need to do, what do they need to learn. They need to put a time, uh, a, a plan together, a smart target, they call it. So actually, like, there are courses out there that are giving students these skills and students are leaving with these skills. And there are some universities that are extremely open to them, BIM, we send a lot of students to BIM, Brighton and Bristol. We sent them to the Institute for Modern Music. Um, but there are some some um, universities for music just won't won't allow them to do just a music degree. That sounds like a really good place to start. Actually, if you've got, say, you're doing something like this. You're, what you're doing is you're 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 doing the kind of thing that each one of us, as a kid, would have found the information that we wanted would have found the roots open to us to pursue uh what was inside us our own kernel um and you're doing this and then you're actually saying that actually there are places that were sympathetic to this mm. and if we can get all the places who are sympathetic to this and we can get all them to join in a conversation to then lobby all the places that aren't sympathetic to this we could like maybe we could start that kind of weight of discussion it's not just amongst us it's actually amongst 
named things that are yeah. also behind change. Have those, 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 have those institutions like BIM are they are looked down upon, and I I, for, I have no idea why because they are brilliant uh, music degrees in music production, music performance, songwriting, composing, uh, events management. They are. In, incredibly useful degrees with an actual outcome and a job at the end. You know, people say, well, don't go to university if you can't get a job. These places actually give the students more of an opportunity of getting a job than going to a conservatoire. But it's yeah. so logical. <laughs> Why does it feel so revolutionary? Exactly. I mean, that's but something... It's so straightforward. It's yeah. something that I wasn't taught at conservatoire level. Mm. It was a course that you were actively encouraged not to do, Dave. You talk about that in your episode. You went off and actually did maths and physics as your yeah. undergrad. Yeah. And there are those of us who haven't studied music at all who have still managed to kind of formulate a career in it. And mm. yet the thing that ties us all together is this kind of unnecessary snobbery and hierarchical system that has who even put it in place? Why is it still Department there? Of education starts it and it and they have they have pulled apart there was something called progress eight now uh gcs onuses on english math science and rightly so those are three fundamentally important subjects but then they have something called bucket two where all students must learn humanities so history or geography and a language and then every other subject is shoved in something called bucket three so that's music dance drama art photography media or religious studies anything and it, it has devalued the subjects because students can only take so many subjects. They can basically, in most schools, only take one from bucket three. They have to yeah, pick yeah. one. Our school, our SLT, uh, is absolutely brilliant. They've given, they actually allow the students to have four options. So they actually can have two from bucket three. Um, so it means that they do more GCSEs. It means that we as teachers will teach to four o'clock sometimes to make sure that we can fit it all into the timetable. But we have a broad balanced curriculum that's down to SRT, so it needs schools to to support students doing it. But it also needs to come from above because essentially the Department of Education really do not value the arts. No. And, and I it goes through COVID and it shows through now the way they, they are cutting, called, uh, cutting uh, subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why so many music teachers in high schools end up quite demoralised. Because, you know, they're there out of the passion for the subject, but, you know, it's it's devalued to that extent that... Well, it, actually, I actually worked in two schools as a teaching assistant during lockdown, just coming out of lockdown, because obviously there's no gigs, and that's my, that's my primary uh, job. And one school I worked in, the kids only do music once a week and only for one term of the year. So that they, that's, it's on a rotation music. The second school I worked at, the, the headmaster is a, a guy that I know, he's a musician. Um, and he has, I think the kids do something like four music lessons a week. And they just, he, they, he just put a load of money into a brand new music department with, with Mac computers and, uh, and he's just he values music so much. So kids in those two schools are the same age. The schools are probably only a few miles apart from each other. And yet they get a vast, vastly different music education, and yeah. it's just crazy that that isn't standardised. That it's down to the schools to do that. So one lot of kids will just not have any positive experience of music at all, and then the other lot will have it absolutely everything they could possibly need to take to. They they do they do band after school band, so they all like can join. There's a drum the drum kit. There's guitars, there's bass guitars, amps, recorder equipment, everything you could need there. Um, they have, the school has, it's an inner city school, they have their own Caribbean steel band that play out the school because all the kids are from a Caribbean, a lot of kids are from Caribbean tradition. Right. So they, they actually have their own Caribbean steel band. They, they have all the tools they need. And that contrast just blew my mind that the fact that the, the, that there's two schools are so, such different both state schools, both, you know, no difference in, in funding or any of that kind of stuff. It's just how they use the, the money, you know, and what they what they prioritise for their kids. Oh God, there's so much to talk about. We need to do this again. I know. <clears throat> we need to do I've got to go. I've got to go to my gig, but I've got, yeah, to, somehow... I've got a trad session to go to. But uh, this, I feel like really scratching the surface of this. Yeah. But I, lo I, I love the idea of there being um, something uh, positive 
action to, to, to do that Greg's talking about there, mm. about showing what Dave does in his mm -hmm. school, in his college and the, the courses he's talking about and showing that there's actually something that can be done. This isn't just for people on a Zoom call moaning about what's what's wrong. Yeah. There's actually, we need needs positive action. I'm sick and tired of moaning about this stuff. There has to be yeah. positive action that can be done. And it's going to take um, support from all walks of the music business. From this. Yeah, and, totally. And it all starts in education. And that's the beauty of actually even just the four people sitting here, because we've got people in different pockets of the education industry, if you like, but then also people from different facets of the music industry too, to actually join that together. And the more these conversations are opened up from here to people that are listening and further and beyond, actually learning about those courses that Dave's teaching, for example, have already just made me question so much about why that's not included as a standardized thing. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. You're just finding out about stuff that you don't know about. I mean, that's it's the point of education, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, fundamentally, that's a novel idea. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's like, it just goes to show, you know, that we are finding out stuff now that one thing like that makes you connect one other thing, which makes someone else connect one other thing. Before you know it, you've got a whole framework of possibilities for, for another conversation and broadening it out. It's just, it's that's beautiful, it. you know? That's it. Well, thanks so much, guys, for your time. It's been really great to chat to all three of you. I'm gutted that we haven't even managed to get through oh, even a oh. fraction of the stuff that we could, but I think we'd be on this podcast for about eight hours otherwise. I know, so. I know. I want to come down and we should all meet. Let's, we need to do this in a room as, as monkeys, you know, just like, as, <laughs> just not on Zoom, definitely. Let's, let's, let's keep in touch and uh, should we organise something? Why don't we do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% you know? yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant, brilliant.